0: We are so glad you're here tonight, and if you have a copy of God's Word, look with us to the Book of John, chapter 17. The book of John, chapter 17. Uh, we had a great uh, time this morning in Easter, and it's been a beautiful day. And the only problem with beautiful days on Easter is allergies, and that's what's happening to me. So I'll be—I might have to drink some water, but that's—that's that's what's bothering me. No, no worries. So, the Book of John, chapter 17. As I said last time, Jesus is headed to the cross. The disciples don't understand. They, they, they're, they're clueless right now. In fact, everything we've been saying the last few weeks, they are listening and they don't get it. Uh, he, he's talking in riddles to them. He, they don't really understand what he's saying. And so what's going to take place tonight in, in chapter 17 is something interesting. It's something that, that God gives to us a peek behind the curtain because we're going to see Jesus pray. But he is headed to the cross. He is headed to be arrested. He's headed for, the, uh, for Judas to betray him. And then in chapter 17, we find this prayer. I'm not going to read the whole prayer at one time. We're going to do what we did last time. I'm going to read just a few verses. But we're going to look at the whole chapter tonight. And there is so much in this chapter. So let's look at it. Beginning in John chapter 17. <clears throat> beginning in verse 1. Jesus spoke these things. And lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said... I have glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Pray with me. Our Father, tonight as we look in this passage, help us to understand Not only what Jesus is praying for, but help us, Father, as we pray. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Prayer is essential to the Christian life. We need to learn how to pray. Prayer is the easiest thing to learn. You can teach a child how to pray, and then you'll spend your entire life learning how to master it. One of the best ways to learn how to pray is to study the prayers of, of uh, the prayer life of, of great men and women of God. And the most obvious person to really study the prayer life is Jesus. And because of that, this prayer in chapter 17 is the greatest prayer ever recorded. Of all the prayers in the Bible, of all the prayers written anywhere, I submit to you, this is the greatest prayer. Now, you can read it at one sitting, it's a very short prayer. And yet, it's the longest prayer that we have of Jesus. It has so much depth, so much doctrine in it. You can study it for, for weeks and months to understand what Jesus is saying. Now, throughout Scripture, we find Jesus withdrawing to pray. Many times, he would be busy, and then early in the morning, he would go pray. Or he would pray all night. We don't know what he was praying. We don't have a clue. It just says he withdrew. Here, though, we see the prayer. We hear The prayer so we don't know what he was doing in the solitude but now we have a clue of his prayer life that's why this prayer is so amazing to me I said a few moments ago it's like peeking behind the curtain for us as believers to see Jesus praying and as I said I submit to you this is the greatest prayer in the Bible why well first of all because of the person who prayed the prayer Jesus Pray the prayer, Jesus, the Son of God, Jesus in the flesh, talking with His heavenly Father, and when you consider the goal of the Apostle John, this is really an amazing prayer. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, each author looked at Jesus from four different emphases. So, in the book of Matthew, Matthew looked at Him from the standpoint of a king. In Mark, we looked at Mark a few years ago. He looked at Jesus from the standpoint of a servant. Uh, in Luke, he looked at Jesus as the Son of Man mark however looked at jesus with the deity of christ and so he wants to emphasize the deity of christ and so he has the longest prayer here is jesus praying to the father so that's why this is amazing to me and as you look at the prayer you begin to realize that only the deity could pray this prayer Uh, in verse one jesus prays that god the father would glorify jesus do you realize how audacious that is I mean, Moses prayed to see the glory of God, but Moses would never pray, God, glorify me. Only God is glorified, and yet Jesus is praying, glorify me. Why? Because he's deity. Only God can give eternal life, and that's what Jesus says in verse 2, that the Father gave him the ability to give eternal life. In verse 8, Jesus said he came from the Father. Now, the idea of coming forth from the Father meant that he came directly from God because he is God. Only deity could say this. Uh, in, In verses 11, verse 21, he claimed to have everything the Father possessed. Jesus prayed that everything that belongs to the Father belonged to him. And he claims to be one with the Father. Only deity could pray that. We couldn't pray that tonight. So this prayer is seeing Jesus, the Son of God, praying to God the Father. Not only that, we see that Jesus, nowhere in this prayer, says to God, our Father. Did you notice that? I mean, Jesus gave us the model prayer. He said we are to pray our Father. But Jesus doesn't pray that way because he is Jesus' Father by nature. You see, God is our Father by grace, and so we say our Father. Jesus' Father is by nature. That's the difference. By God's grace and by God's calling, we can call him the Father, but Jesus is his nature. That's who he is. And then finally, Jesus commands the Father. In verse 24, there's an English word that says, I desire. That's a strong word in the Greek language. It really means I command. Here's Jesus commanding the Father to do something. Only God can command God. I can't do that. So this is the greatest prayer because of who's praying it. But also is the greatest prayer because of the situation. In chapter 13 and verse 16, Jesus has been teaching the disciples. And now he's praying for them. And now he's about to go to the cross. He's been showing them, teaching them, showing them, and then now he's about to leave. There's a balance. As we look at this few chapters, there's a balance between teaching, praying, and doing. Jesus has taught. Now he's about to pray. And then he's going to go do. So let's look at this prayer. Really, Jesus prays for three things. He prays for himself, he prays for the disciples, and he prays for us. First, Jesus prays for himself. Look back in verse 1. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you, even as you have given gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him he may give eternal life. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. He begins by praying for his authority. That's what he does in verse 1 and 2. The rest of the Lord is imminent. He's going to be arrested. He's about to go to the trial. He's about to go to the crucifixion. Just a few hours away. The hour appearance, it looks like the enemies are winning. It looks like they've gotten the best of him. They, they, they're going to turn the crowd against Jesus. You would expect Jesus to be more looking like he's powerless, that there's nothing he can do. This is not a time you think he would speak of his authority, but it's exactly what he's doing. He is speaking about his authority. He says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, even as you gave him authority over all flesh. Please understand what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, I, Lord, Father, I'm in control because you're in control. You've given me authority over all flesh, all humanity. Here's another example of the Bible, the sovereignty of God. Jesus has all authority over everyone. Yes, he had authority over Judas. Yes, he had authority over the high priest. Yes, he has authority over the Roman officials. Yes, he had authority over everything. Even when they're crying out, crucify him, crucify him, Jesus is still in control. It's really a miracle When you consider it that somehow that God has given to us free will and yet God is sovereign Peter in the book of Acts chapter 2 is talking to the crowd about what's going to happen to Jesus about the crucifixion listen to how he says it Acts 22 verse 22 Israelite man listen to these words Jesus Of Nazareth, a man clearly demonstrated to you to be from God by powerful deeds, wonders, and miraculous signs that God performed through him among you, just as you know yourself. This one, what he said, verse 23. This man who was handed over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you executed by nailing him to the cross at the end of the Gentiles. That's the sovereignty of God. Peter says, this Jesus, whom you crucified, That was the plan of God. It was your free will, but the plan of God. How can you explain this? Because of this prayer. Jesus is praying for his authority. He says, I have all authority. I have all authority over humanity. I have all authority over unbelievers. I have all authority over believers. I have all authority over everything. He prays for his authority. But he also prays for his assistance. Again in verse one. He says, the fa-, He says, Father, the hour has come. Now, all through the ministry of Jesus, he would tell people, My hour has not yet come. Over and over again, he would say, My hour's not, not yet come. Now it's come. He's about to be betrayed, arrested, tried, and crucified. His prayer to the Father, Father, aid me, assist me, that I will finish your will. Father, help me, that I will fulfill the plan from the beginning of time. What Jesus is praying, it put in perspective. Jesus is saying, Father, life is not an accident. It's not just random chaos. Life is moving toward a point. And Father, you are in control. And I need your help to be sure that I accomplish your will. The hour is come. But look at the next statement. That glorify your son. The hour is coming. This, what is this hour? For Jesus to be glorified. And the only way He can be glorified is on the cross and through the resurrection. Why is he doing it? Again, look at verse 1. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Jesus saying, Lord, Father, I need you to assist me. I need for you to help me, that I will accomplish your plan. Will you glorify me, that I may glorify you. Everything Jesus did was for the Father's sake. Everything Jesus did was to glorify the Father, even receiving the glory himself. Third, he prayed for his accomplishment. Verse 2 through 4. He he talks about why he came. Look at verse 3. He said, this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Jesus is praying to the Father. He's praying about the accomplishment. Father, I've accomplished what you desire. I have provided a way for sinners to come to you. That's what he's saying in verse 2 and 3. When Jesus died on the cross, when he says, remember, it is finished. It meant the payment had been paid in full. He said, I will accomplish this. And he gives the definition of eternal life. In case we don't understand, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. You see, if you would ask the Jews of this time period, what is eternal life, they would say knowing God. But they rejected the Son. Jesus said, I will accomplish What you sent me to do, that you may be glorified. And they will have eternal life. And eternal life is only one thing, knowing the Father and Jesus Christ. Whenever Jesus talks about eternal life, he's talking about a connection, a relationship. That that word know is gnesco in Greek. It, It means to know by experience. It's not book knowledge. The only way you will ever be saved is a personal knowledge in Christ. You need to personally know Him, know Him intimately. Now that doesn't happen overnight, by the way. It's a process. Wherever you are in your Christian walk, there is more for you to know about God. There's no more than more for you to know about Jesus. But it's that walking with Him that is eternal life. And we keep learning and knowing and knowing and knowing until one day we die, and we know Him intimately in heaven. Then he prays for his assurance. Look at verse 5. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Jesus knew he was going to the cross. But this verse reminds us that he knew that after the cross, after the grave, he would return to the Father. Glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Jesus gave up everything to come here to be man. And now he is praying for this assurance that, Father, I will come back to you. This is an incredible prayer. As he is praying, Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen. He knew exactly the plan. He came. He's praying now, Father, will you accomplish this plan? Jesus came so that man could see God and that God could die for man. But then he begins to pray for the disciples beginning of verse 6. He said, I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words which you have gave me, I have given to them, and they received them, and truly understood that I came from, from forth from you, and they believe that you sent me. I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And all things that are mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, the name which has been given me, that they may be one even as we are. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me, and I guarded them. And not one of them perished, but the son of perdition. So that the scripture may be fulfilled. Jesus has been praying for himself and now he's praying for the disciples. Can you imagine the disciples hearing this? Can you imagine the disciples hearing Jesus praying for them? Jesus is praying for their relationship with the Father. I I can imagine here's John listening and realizing he's praying for me. He's recording what Jesus is saying, realizing that Jesus is praying for him. And you look back, really, Jesus prays three things for the disciples. First of all, he prays for their security. That's what he says in verse 6 through 14. I mean, look back at verse 6. He said, I've manifested your name to whom you gave me out of the world. They are yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Verse 11, he said, Keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are. In verse 12, While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me, and I guarded them. Not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, so that the Scripture may be fulfilled. He is praying for their security. He says, Father, you have given them to me. You are holding on to them. Continue to hold on to them. He is praying to them. A a word that he keeps using, the word kept or keeping, he keeps using that word. Uh, The first time, it means to persevere. The second time, it, it means the idea of guarding something. So here's what Jesus is saying. He's praying to the Father. And he says, Father, will you take these disciples and will you guard them and hold them and protect them? That's why the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 5 says that we who are kept, that's in the present tense, somebody's holding on, we who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation to be revealed at the last time. We, if you're a believer, we have security in our faith. Why? Because of his name. Verse 11, through your name. Through the character and the name of the heavenly father, we have security. You know what that means? We are secure, not because we can hold on to God. We're secure because God holds on to us. That's the biggest difference. Our grip on, on our salvation, not how hard, how long we can hold on to the Christian faith. Our security is based on how long our heavenly father who has all power and all authority can hold on to us. It is a great prayer that Jesus is praying for the disciples. Lord, hold on to them, protect them, guard them. By your name, by the name and the character of God, he's going to do this. Now, you notice the last part of verse 11, just in case we were a little confused. Or verse 12, he says, while I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me and I guarded them and not one of them perish, but the son of petition so that the scripture would be fulfilled. He's talking about Judas. We already talked about Judas before. We're going to talk about him again very soon. Judas did not lose his salvation. He was never saved in the first place. We, we saw that at the Passover. Remember the, the Lord's Supper? Jesus said, one of you not, is not clean. clean." I mean, he knew. He was faking it. And so Jesus is saying, Lord, you've helped them. You, I've held them. You've held them. And we are holding them together. We have not lost any of them except the son of perdition, but he was never of us anyway. And that was to fulfill the scripture that says one would betray him. He is praying for their security in verse 11, verse part of the last part of that, that they may be one as we are. Jesus wants his disciples to be unified. He wants there to be unity among the disciples because if there is unity, you can accomplish great things. When the church is unified and the church is prayed up and the church is confessed up and controlled by the Holy Spirit, the church can do anything. But if a church is divided... That church has no power. Do you understand why Satan attacks churches? Because if he can get us fighting, we have no power. And the world wins. And Jesus is praying for the disciples that they will be hold on to and kept, not only with unity but but with joy. He says, but now I've come to you, and these things I speak in the world so that they may have my joy made full of themselves. He said, Lord, hold on to them. Lord, hold on to them. Give them unity and give them joy. Adorah Judson, the missionary of Burma. I don't know if you've ever read about him. We've, I've mentioned him many times before. He's a really amazing missionary. Many people called him Mr. Gloryface. Because he had glory on his face. There was a joy they wanted because he was one with the Father, one with Jesus. that's the desire Jesus has for us, that we may be one. We have eternal security because of the Father. Then he prayed for their sanctification, verse 15. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one they are not of the world even as i am not of the world sanctify them in the truth your word is truth he begins to pray for their sanctification what is sanctification well literally it means to be set apart that's the word but basically it means being in the process of becoming like jesus to be set apart you're not like the world you're unlike anything in the world you are set up you're set apart for god you have a different moral code than the world you have a different Uh, uh, Mindset than the world You have a different vocabulary than the world You have different desires than the world You have different priorities than the world You are different, you are set apart And you are continually to grow like Jesus And Jesus is praying for the disciples He said, Father, sanctify them Set them apart from the world He didn't say, get them out of the world If if we're out of the world, we can't share the faith He says, no no, Don't let them be of the world But don't get them out of the world Sanctify them by your truth And that's how we are sanctified. If you want to grow to be more like Jesus, you look at his truth, the word of God. By his truth, we are sanctified. Then in verse 18, he prays for their sending. As you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. He's praying to the father for the disciples. He's praying for their sanctification. And then as he's praying for their sanctification, he's praying for them to be sent around the world. Now, why would he pray for that? Because guess what the God the Father did for God the Son? He sent Him to the world. And now God the Son is sending them into the world. He wants them to do exactly what he did. Jesus said, I've come to seek and save that which is lost. And now he wants the disciples to do the same thing. By the way, there's a pattern here if you go back and look at it. It, Once you're secured, then you're sanctified, you're going to be sent. That's what he's praying. And then Jesus prays for us all believers of all time. Verse 20. I do not ask on behalf of these alone. In other words, I'm not praying just for these disciples. But for those who believe in me through their word, their disciples and their disciples and their disciples and their disciples and their disciples, disciples, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may be in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. Jesus prays for us. He identifies us, verse 20. Literally, the, the word is believing ones. Those who are continuing to believe in the gospel. Those who continue to, to grow. What does he pray? Number one, that they may be one. Same prayer he prayed for the disciples. And number two, he said that they may see his glory. Look at what he says in verse 22 following. The glory which you have given me, I have given them that they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you and me, that I, they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am so that you may see my glory which you have given me for you loved me before the foundation of the world. See what he's saying? His prayer for us, 2,000 years ago, he's still praying that in heaven. His prayer for us is that we will see the glory of Jesus. Now, one day, we will see the glory of Jesus in heaven. But before we get there, we need to see the glory of Jesus here. That's what he's praying. And as he's praying for us, he's praying for two things. Number one, he's praying for our unity. Same thing he prayed with the disciples. He says, I pray that they are Unified. Now, he doesn't mean being in the same church. He doesn't mean have the same order of service. He doesn't mean have the same style of music. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the Spirit, that we are one in the Spirit, that we serve the same Savior, we're the same witnesses, and we have the same love, that we are unified. But then he prayed for their union. Look what he's saying in verse 24. I pray for their union, that there will come that day they will be with me in heaven. Jesus is praying for us, waiting for us to be in heaven. Look at verse 24 again. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am, that they may see my glory which you have given me. I don't know if you noticed it or not. I'll be honest with you. I didn't notice it the first few times. I studied this passage. Charles Spurgeon, great English preacher of the 1800s, he noticed it. He said, Jesus said, I want them to be with me in heaven. He doesn't say, I want them to be in heaven. No. I want them to be with me. Because that's what makes heaven, heaven. Jesus loves us so much, he wants us to be with him. Can you imagine that? He's not talking about, I want them to be in a place. No, I want them to be with me. I want them to be with me. Look at verse 26. As he's concluding this prayer. And I have made your name known to them and will make it known so that the love with which you love me may be in them. And I in them. The last words of the prayer. And I in them. Jesus prayed for us. That he will be in us. That he will be in us. That's revolutionary. And even now in heaven, that's his prayer. That we will be with him, and that he will be in us. That is our desire. A.W. A. Tozer said that if you had a 100 pianos in a large hall, if you tune the first piano, and then you use that piano to tune the second piano, and then you use the second piano to tune the third piano, and you do all the pianos that way, the 100th piano will be so out of tune, it will be total disharmony. He said, however, if you tune the 100 pianos with a single tuning fork, all 100 pianos will produce beautiful music and harmony. You see, if we all model our lives after one, Jesus, If we model our life after him, if we serve him, if we seek out him, if we live for him, if he is the tuning fork, if we are in tune with him, we will be in tune with one another. And that is Jesus' prayer. And I don't know where your spiritual condition is tonight, those of you who are here and those of you who are online, but I do know this. Jesus prayed 2,000 years ago for you. And he's still praying. Will you give your life to him tonight? I'm going to ask if everyone just stand and bow your heads. If you're watching online, if you have never given your life to Christ, I want you to realize Jesus is praying for you. Praying that you'll come to him by giving your life to him. If you would just uh, text the word today at 270 5005, and a minister will give you a call and talk about your spiritual condition. But if you're here tonight and you've never given your life to Christ, we give you that opportunity because He's calling you. He loved you so much that Jesus sacrificed everything to come here, to live as man, to go to a cross, to be crucified, to pay for our sins. And on the third day after he died, was resurrected. And he did it for you. Father, speak to us now with clarity. That, Father, we may be one with you. In Jesus' name, amen.